0: Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Aundel, spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Cheers, Chris. Uh, yeah, so hello, my name is Theo, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I am going to be finishing our series on transformation. Uh, <laughs> it depends it depends how well I do, it depends how much we get through today, I think. Um, so yeah, we've been uh, spending the the year so far talking about uh, transformation. Um, and if you were there at 3.15 in Thrapston... Uh, last week, and you would have uh, witnessed a beautiful expression of that transformation that we have in Jesus, uh, seeing Shona get baptised, and Sally brought a word about the transformation that Jesus has brought to the world. Um, If you came here at half ten, like I did, uh, you'll be disappointed. Um, But yeah, there we are, we learn. Um, I don't know about you, but I've really resonated a lot with a lot of uh, thoughts and things that have been said throughout this series. Maddie a few weeks ago, spoke um, about teaching and practice, and she said that we're all being transformed by someone or something, each with their own liturgies, which I thought was really uh, quite profound. I think it's really true, because it seems like nowadays, we're surrounded in the world by transformation. Like at work, it used to be that you would uh, get a job, and you would stick in that job for a long time, maybe the rest of your life. But nowadays, it seems that we've got uh, professional development plans, we've got Uh, leadership seminars and upskilling development programs, I don't know, Um, all to try and make us a more productive uh, employee, um, a better leader, a better person in the workplace. How can we climb up the corporate ladder? And it's the same at home as well, right? We turn on our TVs or go on our phones. We've got adverts on social media, apps that we have to download, 30-day free trials that we uh, forget we signed up to. Um, all that promise us that by accessing these things regularly, we will be more intelligent, more productive, a better human being. If you read a lot of the books you read, Christian or secular nowadays, promise us that by the end of the book or maybe by the end of the podcast you're listening to, you'll be a better human being, right? To put it in the words of the great band Radiohead, fitter, happier, more productive. So when I hear about becoming more like Jesus in a series like this, I'm naturally quite excited. I was um, brought up in a Christian household, went to church all my life, and I've been told that, you know, being like Jesus is a good thing, right? And even my friends that wouldn't necessarily profess to follow Jesus, they also admit that um, what they hear about him, his way of life, is something that they would like to aspire to. It's naturally quite attractive and something to be um, looked up to, right? So it's all good. But I'm also quite nervous when I hear a series about transformation or um, commitment to change, because I seem to have this recurring issue with it. And the issue is me. Um, I don't know, maybe you're the same. We're deep into February now. So it is a bit unfair of me to ask you how your New Year's resolutions are going. Uh, What seems to be... um, a great idea in the early hours of the 1st of January very quickly becomes uh, sort of lost or stuck at the back of the cupboard because of life, right? Life just seems to get in the way. The running app Strava tells us that January the 12th is the the sort of day our running resolution ends. And the University of Scranton uh, in America did a a study recently and they said that 19% of New Year's resolutions are seen through to the long term, which is up to two years. Transformation seems to be a great idea until it comes to sticking with it. And I wouldn't uh, say this is something new. Uh, Paul in Romans seven, who's working through this sort of uh, bigger argument, he says, you know, I I don't know what I do for, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do, right? Or, Or words to that effect. So I don't think it's necessarily bad to talk about transformation or want to be a better person, want to change. But I do wonder if the obsession that we have with it today in, in this world is maybe contributing to increasing levels of anxiety in the world, stress, disillusionment. So can a community help us? And that's what I want to talk about today, community. I think community is quite difficult to come by in this day and age. In a more globalised world, we seem to be more isolated and alone than ever. I think, Tom, you spoke a few weeks ago and you told us about the Minister for Loneliness, Baroness Barron, who last year said that we are in a crucial point in this country in tackling loneliness. And for the communities we do have, a lot of them seem to be so divisive. These are... Seem to be exclusive exclusive clubs, maybe political party or a sports team, um, of who's in and who's out, right? And you can very quickly find yourself going from in to out, depending on what happens in your life or, or what you do. There are online communities as well, and there are um, issues with online communities that I'm, you know, not necessarily qualified to discuss. But these can be positive, but at the same score, they're they're online, so as soon as you away from your phone, or you're offline, or that thing's not trending, that community ceases to be. Should the church look different? And that's what I want to sort of think about today. Um, The text I'm going to be in is uh, 1 Corinthians. And it's a bit of a long text today, so strap in. So 1 Corinthians 12, this is... um, Paul right into the community in Corinth. I'm going to go from verse. We're go from verse four to 26, so please bear with. I might paraphrase just for time and um, brevity, I guess. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, it was given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Another, a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, a gift of healing. Another, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongue, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. The parts that are unpresentable that you make your mind up as to what those parts are, are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Just in this room, we are our diverse uh, group of people, right? Different backgrounds, different ages, different financial statuses probably saw a kid in a newcastle top earlier don't know where he's gone but it's like they let anybody in nowadays <laughs> um, <coughs> <coughs> this diversity is positive right it's something to be celebrated and it's something to be absolutely respected paul is paul is writing um paul is writing to to a church uh, that is well, it's in Corinth, right? And he's writing in the Roman world, all right? The, this 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 church that's part of the Roman Empire. The Romans would come in, and they would um, drown the places almost in the Roman culture. How did you get ahead in the, in, in these areas where well, you looked as Roman as you could? So, the more Roman you looked, the better you would sort of fare in that world. And to this world, Paul writes about how brilliantly diverse. A community can be. How brilliant and how diverse uh, a community that follows Jesus should be. Right at the start of that um, 1 Corinthians passage that we read, there was a list of gifts. We find a similar gift list in Romans 12, just after the sort of flagship verse, Romans 12, verse 2, that we've been using in this series do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind he goes on to list another group of gifts. He links the transformation in verse 2 to the collective, to the community. And all these gifts, I would say, they're not necessarily a categoric, exhaustive list of gifts that we need to sort of find in everybody. But I think Paul is kind of, it's part of his argument, you know, whatever God has given you, whatever gift God has put in your life, use it for the good of the community. And for Paul, you see, <clears throat> all these differences that we have, this diverse group of people, we're all important, we all play our own part. And you see, for Paul, this identity, our identity is, is secondary. These diversity, this diversity is secondary to the unity that we have in Christ, okay? Our identity in Christ is the most important part of our identity. The body Paul is talking about is the body of Christ, okay? So us being in Christ is a great leveller, all right? We're all the same in Christ, right? There is diversity in unity. <clears throat> because we're so diverse, right, it's, I think it's quite easy to fall into the, the sort of trap or the mindset that transformation, therefore, looks the same for everybody else. And we can very quickly put our own opinion on what transformation looks like, and it may look like that for us, and we impose that on other people. And I'm not saying that we can't encourage people to be like Jesus. I'm, I'm you know, an advocate for, for you know correction and discipline in the church and, and journeying that with people. But I think it would be really sort of worrying if everybody looked like me and acted like me in the church. I don't know. There'd be a shortage of donuts. I'll say that for free. Forcing our ideas of transformation onto other people can actually, and we see this a lot coming out of some of the mega churches in America, it can open people up to all sorts of uh, abuses. So I think it can be really dangerous. And, and what people can say, what can happen, and I've heard it happen, is people say, Oh, well, I'm, telling, I'm telling them the truth in love. Right. And, you know, there is a place for truth, there's a place for correction. Okay? and discipling people, I get that. But what this sort of truth in love a lot of the time seems to be is actually just a stern telling off and then telling someone to go away and sort things out and come back when you've got it all uh, together. So I'm not saying we can have no input into people's lives. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't take that away from, from this sermon. But this must first come out of a place of relationship, a place of grace, And actually, a recognition that we can't force transformation. We don't transform people. What does? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will transform us. Just before um, Jesus was going back to the Father in in John 14, he's, he's talking to his disciples and he says, I'll leave with you another advocate, the Spirit of truth. And this advocate is the Holy Spirit. And I think that's just a beautiful idea a um, beautiful word, advocate, this uh, quite literally, um, in the Greek it quite literally means the, the one called alongside. And it's this beautiful idea of the Holy Spirit not being this distant dictator, but something that is alongside us on our journey, alongside us throughout our life, guiding us, correcting us but something that's close and that is with us. Jesus says, another advocate. What was the first advocate? Well, it was Jesus. And there's a beautiful sort of idea here that maybe if we want to be more like Jesus, which I think we all confess to to wanting to be, maybe a good place to start is to be advocates for people, to be alongside people, journeying with them in their own transformation to be like Jesus. So just some sort of questions that I'm going to throw out to you, maybe just to think about and, and chat about later or whatever. But what should we do? Should we maybe think more corporately about transformation, more collectively? Should we be shown another way than the world's way of transformation? And let me say this, the world has enough stone throwers. Right? The world has enough People with enough brilliant ideas on how people should act and live and as Christians sort of as a a sort of global movement we have been very good at sort of telling people how we think they should or shouldn't be living not saying that's inherently wrong I'm not saying that's necessarily bad but what I would say is you're not necessarily adding to the conversation because there are people outside of the church that have those opinions too. can we use our gifts in unity with one another in agreement to represent Christ to a fragmented a disjointed, a disillusioned world can we offer a community where the liberal can sit at the same table as the conservative, where the doubtful can sit at the same table as the super confident where the the homeless person can sit at the same table as the as the Lawyer. Um, many of you will know Simon and Sally. Um, I'm sure they won't mind me uh, sharing this. I've known Simon and Sally all my life, I've been very privileged to know them. And I've, uh, for as long as I can remember, Simon and Sally have uh, spent their Friday nights and their Sunday mornings with people from Wellingborough who are struggling with addiction or, or homelessness or uh, various sort of struggles like that. And, I'll be honest, my Friday night is, is uh, a beer and a takeaway, <laughs> and Netflix, um, but I've been very privileged to um, see at very various points the work that Simon and Sally, I know other people um, partnered with them in that. but um, I've seen them working with these people, and, and there's this beautiful image that always stays with me of Simon and Sally literally sitting at the same table as these drug addicts or these homeless people, and sharing a meal with them. I've shared food and drink with these uh, people. What they don't do is they don't say, you're wrong, go away, sort it out and come back. But they journey with them. And they'll tell you that this transformation doesn't happen overnight, it's not immediate, sometimes it, it doesn't necessarily happen, we don't necessarily see things. But they've got Something of the kingdom mindset, something of Jesus journey alongside these people, drawing them in to the community, sitting at the same table with them. Something that the world doesn't seem to offer. And as I said, they will tell you that transformation, this transformation can take a long time. Maybe it takes longer than we think. It takes Paul begins a lot of his letters addressing um, the churches, and he uses words like the saints, the holy ones, the sanctified in Christ. All these, all these sort of quite high-level words. I don't know what uh, springs to mind when you think of these words. I think of like holier than thou, which is sort of like a bit of a bit of an insult, actually. But um, these words, holy. To me, it conjures up ideas of quite a high bar, maybe a complete level of transformation, maybe um, something to strive towards, and you can only get it uh, when you're sort of perfect. But then Paul continues in his letters, right? I mean, one Corinthians, he starts talking to the to the holy ones in Corinth, and very quickly you sort of <clears throat> well, you get. You get jealousy, you get division, you get uh, prostitution, you get incest. And I don't know everybody in this room, but I would take a guess that these are not the things that came to your mind when you thought about the word holy. Maybe the bar for being in this community is lower than we think. Maybe sanctification looks different than what we initially thought it looked. So it's not necessarily wrong, but what we have uh, a lot of the time in in sort of the, the Western Christian world is this very neat idea of the transformation Jesus brings, right? So it goes like, you know, we were a mess, met Jesus. Sorted, job done, right? And that's some for some people that is your journey and that is superb, that's great, and I, I don't deny that that is, that is your journey, but what about the, the areas of our lives that aren't transformed? What about the things that could potentially get worse? Not as a result of being in the community, just life. Right, it doesn't seem to be always as neat and tidy as we'd like it to be. And if we're not careful, I think this, this mindset that we, that we can have of, of uh, you know being a mess, meeting Jesus and sorted, can actually cause us problems when things aren't going so well, because we can think, well, what are we doing wrong? Does Jesus love me? Do I have to go away and sort this out and then be brought back into the community? And it can actually be quite damaging to to the community, to us as individuals. But I don't think this is what we find in the early church. This doesn't seem to be what Paul is getting at. We have another one of Paul's letters. I think people think he wrote like maybe four or five letters to the, the Corinthians, but we've got two of them. The second one we have, once again, he addresses them, the holy ones. Right, So they're still holy, they're still sanctified. And they seem to be doing better, I'll be honest. It doesn't sound quite as bad in Second Corinthians, but you still have like um, idolatry, which definitely, to me, that sounds like the opposite of holy. I don't know. Transformation may take longer than we think. So what do we do with this? Well, what we read, 1 Corinthians um 12, just at the end there, sort of verse 25 and 26, it says, So that should, there should be no division in the body, but this part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Um, Bethany, my wife, some of you may know her, she's got this amazing ability, quite consistent basis. Um, to stub her toe on the side of the bed. Uh, And I'm normally in bed at this point, so I don't see her stubbing her toe. What I do see is the expression on her face. And I very quickly realize what she's done. Again. Because when you hurt one part of the body, right, the rest of your body knows about it. Are we suffering alongside one another? Are we sitting with... One another in that dark place in those moments, or are we just trying to give up give out sort of quick fixes or telling people to go away, pray about it, and then come back, A bit like job's friends, right on the flip side, are we rejoicing with each other? I think it's quite easy for us to well, when life is going really well for us, it's quite easy to. Rejoice with other people, but what about when your life's not going great, and someone else has something good turn out for them in their life? Are we genuinely happy for those people, or are we feeling maybe a bit envious, a bit jealous? Skipping forward to one Corinthians thirteen, <clears throat> Paul is still speaking to a church, and not just a wedding ceremony. But you may have heard these words from a wedding ceremony, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love doesn't boast. He's still speaking to this community. And he talks about how this patient, kind, non-boastful, non-envious love is crucial, is vital, not just to our marriages, but to the community that we're in right now. So I'm... Coming into land, and then we'll just have some time for reflection. But We're different parts of the body. We're all different parts of the body. We're all equally important. We're all connected. We're all one in Christ. Is this a community where we can be honest about our lives? Because the only factor that matters is that we're in Christ. Our age, wage, background, football team, sexuality... This all comes second to the fact that we're in Christ. Transformation comes after this. We're all different, and that's okay. We'll have different opinions on politics, technology, sport, society, and that's all okay too. Why? Because we've all been brought into the same body. We're all sitting at the same table. We're all in the same boat. And we're all being transformed by Jesus. Our journeys may be different. Our transformation might take longer or look different than it does to others. Some opinions we have about transformation or about others might just be that, our own opinions. And my opinions are often wrong. Transformation takes time. And as humans, we're not great at it. That's why we need a spirit-filled community that's patient, that's kind, that cares for us, that mourns and rejoices with us, and that always has an extra seat at the table. I'm just going to invite Chris up to um, just lead us in some reflection and maybe some prayer. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.